Chapter 11 of Weapons of Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nolan Fout. Weapons of Mystery by Joseph Hawking. Chapter 11 Dark Dreams and Night Shadows. I suppose I must have gone on blindly for some time, for when I again became conscious I stood beside a river, while tall trees waved their leafless branches overhead. Strange noises filled the air. Sometimes wailing sounds were wafted to me, which presently changed into hisses, until it seemed as if a thousand serpents were creeping all around me. The waters of the river looked black, while above me were weird, fantastic forms leaping in the stillness of the night. No words were spoken, no language was uttered save that of wailing and hissing, and that somehow was indistinct, as if it existed in fancy and not in reality. By and by, however, I heard a voice. Onward, it said, and I became unconscious. Again I realized my existence in a vague, shadowy way. I stood beneath the ruined walls of an eastern temple. Huge columns arose in the air, surmounted by colossal architraves, while the ponderous stones of which the temple was built were covered with lichen. Large gray lizards crawled in and out among the crevices of the rocks, and seemed to laugh as they sported amidst what was once the expression of a great religious system, but which was now terrible in its weird desolation. By and by, the great building seemed to assume its original shape, and became inhabited by white-robed priests, who ministered to the people who came to worship. I watched eagerly, but they faded away, leaving nothing save the feeling that a terrible presence filled the place. I heard a noise behind. I turned and saw Kaffir, his black eyes shining, while in his hand he held a gleaming knife. He lifted it above his head as if to strike, but I had the strength of ten men, and I hurled him from me. He looked at me with a savage leer onward said a distant voice the temple vanished and with it all my realization of life save a vague fancy that i was moving somewhere i knew not where i stood by a well-remembered spot i was by the side of drearwater pond around me was a stretch of common land on which grew heather and firs in front of me were noiseless waters a dismal sight at the best of times but awful as i saw them across the pond in the near distance loomed the dark fir trees no sound broke the stillness of the night the wind had gone to rest the moon shone dimly from behind the misty clouds i stood alone each minute my surroundings became more real i recognized more clearly the objects which had struck me during my first visit while the stories which had been told came back to me with terrible distinctness i remembered how it had been said that the pond had no bottom and that it was haunted by the spirits of those who had been murdered 
the story of its evil influence came back to me and in my bewildered condition i wondered whether there was not some truth in what had been said what was that the waters moved distinctly moved near to where i stood and from their dark depths something appeared i could not at first tell what what could it be a monster or frightful man the ghost of some murdered man or woman i could not have believed in either just then it was neither what then a human hand large and shapely appeared distinctly on the surface of the pond nothing more not even the wrist to which it might be attached it did not beckon or indeed move at all it was as still as the hand of death i stood motionless and watched while the outline of the hand became more clear then i gave an awful shudder the hand was red i gave a shriek and for a time remembered nothing more i awoke to consciousness fighting at first it seemed as if i was fighting with the phantom but gradually my opponent became more real to me it was kaffir i had only a dim hazy idea of what i was doing except that i sought to wrest from his hand a knife we clutched at each other savagely and wrestled there on the edge of the pond weights seemed to hang upon my limbs but i felt the stronger of the two gradually i knew i was mastering him then all was blank a sound of voices a flash of light a feeling of freedom and i was awake where still by drearwater pond no phantoms no shadow nothing unreal save the memory of that which i have but dimly described that was but a terrible nightmare an awful dream where was kaffir i could not tell certainly he was not near but two other forms stood near me one bearing a lantern is that you justin said a voice it is i tom i said looking vacantly around and where is kaffir said another voice which i recognized as voltaire's kaffir i i don't know but you have been together have we i said vacantly you know you have what is that in your hand i had scarcely known what i had been saying or doing up to this time but as he spoke i looked at my hand in the light of the moon i saw a knife red with blood and my hand too was also discolored what does this mean cried voltaire i do not know i am dazed bewildered but that is kaffir's knife i know he had it this very evening where is kaffir now it is true i remembered saying have we been together that's his knife at any rate and what is this voltaire picked up something from the ground and looked at it kaffir's he said look mr blake do you recognize this i looked and saw a finely worked neckcloth on which was written in arabic characters the word abba wadi kaffir which had every appearance of being soiled by severe wrenching and on it were spots of blood my faculties were rapidly returning to me yet i stood as one in a dream you say mr justin blake that you do not know where kaffir is yet you hold in your hand his knife which is red with blood here is his scarf 
which has evidently been strained, and on it are spots of blood, while all around are marks indicating a struggle. I say, you do know what this means, and you must tell us. I reeled under this terrible shock. What have I done? Could it have been that I murdered this man? Had I? Had I? I do not know what this means, I said. I think I am ill. Men usually are when they have done what you have, he said. Why, what have I done? I said in a dazed kind of way. Done, he repeated. You know best about that. In spite of the part you play, nevertheless, Kaffir has not gone without leaving a friend behind him, and you will have to show how you came by that, pointing to the knife, which I had dropped with a shudder. This, holding up the net cloth, you must explain these marks, pointing to footmarks near the water's edge, besides which you will have to produce my friend. A terrible thought flashed into my mind. I had again been acting under the influence of this man's power. By some means he had made me the slave of his will, and I had unknowingly killed Kaffir, and he, like the fiend that he was, had come to sweep me out of his road. Perchance, too, Kaffir's death might serve him in good stead. Undoubtedly the Egyptian knew too much for Vulture and so I was made a tool whereby he could be freed from troublesome obstacles. The idea maddened me. I would proclaim the story to everyone. If I were hanged, I cared not. I opened my mouth to tell Tom the whole truth, but I could not utter a word. My tongue refused to articulate. My power of speech left me. My position was too terrible. My overwrought nerves yielded at last. I felt my head whirling around while streams of icy water seemed to be running down my legs. Then I fell down at Tom Temple's feet. For some time after that I remembered nothing distinctly. I have some idea of stumbling along with Tom on one side of me and Vulture on the other. But no word was spoken until we came to Temple Hall. Then I heard Tom say, He's better now. You go into the drawing-room as if nothing had happened, and I'll take him quietly upstairs to bed. I entered the silent house like one in a dream, and went with Tom to my bedroom, where I undressed like a weary child, and soon sunk into a deep, dreamless sleep. End of chapter 11